Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. This body of believers. Ephesians chapter number five uh, this morning, starting with verse number 33 and ending there as well. It's kind of a, uh, Paul's given a summation basically to uh, what he's been talking about right here. He says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband that she reverence her husband will you pray with me right now lord would touch our minds and our hearts lord i come to you today i'm asking oh lord for your spirit i'm asking oh lord for the anointing god of your presence god to meet us here god in this service this morning help us to lean in help us god to open up our hearts and open up our minds and god as we would look at the word god that's truthful lord jesus beneficial god for every aspect and area of our life I pray, oh Lord, let my mind be stayed upon you this morning. Mark any air from my lips and any air from my mouth, Lord Jesus, that I would be able to uh, transfer, Lord Jesus, God, precepts and principles, Father of your word. And I'll thank you and I'll praise you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. I want to say amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. There was a woman that was accompanied by her husband, or rather, she accompanied her husband to a doctor's office for a checkup. And afterwards, the doctor took the wife aside and said, unless you do the following, she said, things, your husband will surely die. The good doctor then said, here's what you need to do every morning. You must make sure that he gets a good, healthy breakfast. Have him come home for lunch each day. And you can feed him a well-balanced meal. Make sure to feed him a good, hot dinner and keep uh, at night, don't overburden him with any household chores. Uh, keep the house spotless and clean so he doesn't get exposed to any unnecessary germs. And on the way home, the husband asked his wife, what did the doctor say? And she replied, you're going to die. <laughs> Amen. Our subject is, is marriage matters. Marriage matters. There's kind of a twofold really with this. Marriage matters in the sense that it's important. Marriage matters, it's important. Marriage matters in the sense that uh, there are some concerns or items, matters, if you will, uh, to think about. Uh, when we left off last week, we uh, left off last week about talking about this idea of submission. We talked about in verse 22 of Ephesians 5 how men had taken that particular verse about wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, how men throughout generations have mistreated verse number 22. And this idea of wives submitting unto their own husbands, they, uh, some have been very iron-fisted, unforgiving uh, with verse number 22. And uh, that would be the case sometimes whenever you want to take one verse, pluck it out of Scripture and say, here we go. But uh, if you were to do that, you would have missed verse 21 uh, that said, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Uh, speaking that the wife and the husband, 
People in general should have a general mode of submitting themselves one to another. And the important factor, the important phrase in both of these scenarios of verse 21 and 22 is this. In verse 21, when it's speaking about submitting to one another, it puts almost like a little disclaimer there or a guide for us, if you will, in the fear of God. And then when it's plainly spoken unto the wives and submitting unto their own husbands, there's again the little disclaimer or guide that's there, as unto the Lord. See, there's a spiritual dynamic that operates in a spirit-filled wife or in a wife that has submitted herself unto the Lord. It's because when she is submitted unto the Lord, she will have, I won't say no difficulty, but she'll have less difficulty submitting unto her husband. Because the premise for her submission, and we'll talk about this word submission, there's a lot of different definitions we could use for this, but, but, but the submission that she offers, I'll say it like this, the submission that she offers to her husband is as unto the Lord, uh, comparable to or patterned after the submission that she offers unto God. And so a difficult matter is if uh, we have a lady that has difficulty in submitting to the Lord, I'll guarantee you one thing. There's probably somewhat of a difficulty in her submitting to her husband. Amen. Y'all, go help me just a little bit today, right? I talked to the, the young people on Wednesday night about the criteria for the mate. Man, it's more fun than you all. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know. I told my wife uh, over the past week, I said, I hope through the, the course of this, I'm not stirring up some hornet's nests in some homes and families that we're going to have to contend with later uh, because I began to wonder last Sunday morning myself, uh, Lord, what type, of, what type of appointments are we going to have over the next few weeks because of marriage matters? Amen. Paul gives us a pattern then. Paul gives us a pattern of submitting as unto the Lord. Amen. If a mate does not or is not submitted unto the Lord or in the fear of God, there will be some struggling, amen, of submitting to each other or submitting to your counterpart or your spouse because it's then out of our love and out of our reverence for Christ that a wife or a husband, for that matter, respects, cooperates, submits, if you will, to her husband as he seeks to lead their family in the service of God. Amen. Uh, hands down, yes, there should be some level of offering cooperation in any home or marriage, but I think particularly whenever that husband is following after Christ. Uh, he's just asking you, as Paul did, follow me as I follow the Lord. And whenever, especially when he's in his God-given position of being in submission to God, it's more of a thing of order and arrangement than it is usurping authority over somebody. Uh, it's just being properly placed. And when he's properly placed himself under God, amen, it makes it very easy, or more easy, might I say, for a lady than to place herself under the guidance and the tutorship of that man. Amen, whenever it's unto the Lord. And an age-old problem that has been dealt with more than one time behind this pulpit over the past 20-some-odd years is that men are not taking the lead in their family and spiritual aspects. As a matter of fact, a great heritage of, of, of the church as we know it was carried a lot of times upon the shoulders of some praying women that could get in touch with the Master that knew how to worship, set aside some days and gave their attention unto the Lord. 
But God wanted us to be leaders in the spiritual aspect of our homes. The Bible says in Genesis 3 and verse number 6, Sister the priest, the Bible says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto, everybody say, her husband, her husband. With, her. with her. And he did eat. So, Whenever we look at the scenario, and I hope we're familiar with the Genesis story here of Adam and Eve and the partaking of the forbidden fruit in the midst of the garden, but the taking and the eating, if you will, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden was more than a physical act. It was more than a, spirit, more than a physical act. It was also a spiritual act. Why? Because to do what they'd done they had to willfully go against the command of the Lord. That takes it from a level or realm of just being a physical act to a spiritual act. It was very much so spiritual. For that matter, the temptation and the beguiling of the serpent in the garden was much more than just a physical thing. It was a spiritual thing. And the sad news then that's conveyed to you and I in Genesis 3 and 6 is that we learn from Scripture that her husband was there with her. Adam was there with Eve in this scenario. He heard the same words from the serpent that Eve heard. The same tenacious beguiling that the serpent was yielding to her, he was yielding to Adam that was there with Eve in all of this. He was right there with her. But instead, men, of taking the role as the spiritual leader, as being the leader because he was made first, then Eve. When you talk about submission, Eve talks sometimes about priority. He was made first, then Eve. Instead of taking the lead in the role of the spiritual leader, he allowed his wife to lead them spiritually. Uh-huh. And the events and the chain action of events that came across there of seeing the tree to be good and, and taking it and then eating it and sharing with her husband. He was there all along the whole time and he was basically stepping back in the shadows and saying, hon, you go on and lead our family right now spiritually even though it was toward a demise. And someone say Amen. Now, I want to just disclaim something right here. Put a little footnote. I'm not saying then uh, anywhere where uh, by default of the lack of the leadership of a man where a woman has to step up to the plate for her family. I'm not saying then everything's going to be demise if the woman's trying to lead him in a spiritual aspect. Please don't misunderstand me. That's just the case in how it went right here. It wasn't for the better, but it was rather for the worse. Again, we see in Scripture, what does Ahab do? He joins himself uh, to Jezebel. Yeah, even within that marital row, uh, Ahab's family, uh, her, her, the spiritual appetite was set by Jezebel, the wife of the family rather than him. Again, I'm not suggesting that ever, just two uh, examples I have, they both went downhill. But I'm not suggesting that this is necessarily what happens. What I'm trying to suggest is we need to be men. All right, you bunch of sissies out there, we need to be men. And we need to take the God-given ordained role of being spiritual leaders in our homes, in our family, and in the church. And Pastor, I believe that also as women, 
we need to give you the freedom to be able to do that. Because as women, we, can, we know our ability as women to be able to sway and influence and things like that. And by our actions, sometimes we can back them in a corner and not even allow them to step up and be the leader that they need to be. You know? And then if they start trying to take their position, sometimes we paint them in a bad light when they're just trying to take their God-given role as a man in the family, and we need to allow them to do that because, as Pastor stated before, a mate or a spouse is going to be a liability or an asset. And to our husband, we can be a liability or an asset. We can encourage them and help them and, and say, you know, go, honey, go. You do whatever God has called you to do. Or we can be the one to pull them down, tear them down, and never allow them to reach that position. So I believe that our influence can affect just as much the men reaching their God-given role as just them themselves. Because we are the help me. We're there to help encourage them, get them there. Amen. That's the reason why I have her up here. We can get both sides of this story. Because conversely, then on this side, I don't think we need to see any lady that may be spiritually leading the family and automatically assume in our homes and families then that she's taken the lead. It might not be necessarily that she's taken anything, but by default, it's fell to her lot. Because there's a man that isn't living an example and portraying what should be portrayed in his family. Someone say amen. Furthermore, leadership or leading isn't always about being in front. Hear me well when I'm about ready to say this. Leadership and leading in a family is sometimes about being beside someone. I found the best ways I can lead my kids across the road is not us getting in a single file and me going ahead of them. But if I can grab their hand. Mm-hmm. That whenever they're going to want to turn or tug or do something else, that I got their hand. And I can lead them. I found much better if I'm walking beside them. And so sometimes our leadership in family as men, it's not you going front and you barking orders and you giving demands. Why don't you walk beside her? She was taken from your side to begin with. Walk beside her. There is something in Scripture that has always just very much so troubled me. It is the story concerning Lot and Lot's wife of Genesis 19. There is a verse that has struck my heart ever since I can remember of verse 26 of the story. Whenever fire and brimstone is falling upon Sodom and Gomorrah, the two angels have set them outside the city to go to a little city of Zoar. And the angels had proclaimed to them, Do not look back. And so here is the man and his wife and their two daughters. They're traveling to Zoar. This is the commentary on Genesis 19, verse 26. It says, but his wife, Lot's wife, looked back. Notice the wording. She looked back from behind him. And she became a pillar of salt. Ladies and gentlemen, these are some horrific words in Scripture concerning Lot's wife. It was his leadership that ever pitched his tent towards Sodom in the first place. Got his family ensnared and entrapped by sinfulness and the wretchedness, if you will, of Sodom and Gomorrah in the first place. But now the angels have set them outside the city, told them to get away, move away from this. They're, they're approaching, if you will, that little city of Zoar. And the Bible tells us that here is Lot's wife. She died. 
And it seems as though, Sister Craig, she dies seemingly within a few steps of safety. Almost to Zoar, and she dies. They virtually, read the scripture, they have virtually had arrived at the city Zoar. Just a few steps from safety. And while Lot, notice the position here, she looks back from behind him. While Lot is hastening on. Hear me now. While Lot is hastening on, then that might be deemed as leadership and he's leading. But he's leading in front of her rather than being beside her. As he is going on, she is behind him, trailing behind. And the Bible says she looked back from behind him. Can I state this morning that this would have been a better instance and better suited if his leadership would have been beside her rather than in front of her? Somebody hear me right now today because the angel said, do not look back. I wondered this morning what would have been the outcome if Lot had been trailing rather than trailing in front of her would have been keeping in step beside his wife with a gentle hand of assurance hear me right now a gentle hand of assurance upon her giving her some persuasive words that honey everything's gonna be alright we'll have another home somewhere else someday uh, we'll get some better camel furniture if you will than what you had back at Sodom and Gomorrah I wonder what the outcome would have been like if he had been alongside her if he could have encouraged her not to look back that if he was beside her and he began to see the twitching of the head in that direction he'd say honey let, let's go on to what's before us someone hear me right now Ladies and gentlemen, talking about submitting to one another and, and particularly the Lord speaking of wives being submitted unto their husbands. Let me tell you today, as married couples or not this morning, we need to walk side by side with our spouses, our husbands, and with our wives submitting to them because listen, we all have a Sodom and a Gomorrah in our past. We all have a Sodom and a Gomorrah in our past where we left some things. I'm not going to refute that they did not leave anything in Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, they had home. Yes, they had placed some roots. Yeah, they had a place of commonality that they were familiar with. They left some things back there. But we need somebody that can walk alongside us and tell us, hey, you'll have something better in your future than what we had in our past. Amen. Christian husbands and wives need to be able to be an encourager. Say, hey, what you left behind you, it's all right. There's going to be something better in front of you. What does that? It's leadership that's not going in front but walking beside. And pastor, I believe that if, as wives, if our husband is following Christ, then we have to have a level of trust in some of their decisions. Even if sometimes we think our way might be a better way. If they are submitted to God and they are following God, you know, even in that situation with Lot and his wife as he was leading them out, it could have been her choice to linger behind and not come up by his side and trust that he was leading them out of danger. It could have been her that was, you know, longing for Sodom and Gomorrah and dragging her feet and trying sure. to hold them up. It could have been just as much her not trusting right. his decision to sure. lead them out of danger. And I believe that as wives, we have to trust. Sometimes we think we know a better way. I can tell you of different times when uh, Pastor and I have discussed different things and situations that have arose and Man, I was just raring to go. I had something I wanted to do or something I wanted to say. And I felt like that I had every right to do it. And he would say, honey, I don't think you need to do that. 
I think you should just do such and such. And I couldn't, probably 100% of the time, I could come back and say, I'm so glad I listened to you because you were right. And because he's a man following God. So I can trust him that when he hears from God that what he passes on to me is going to be exactly right. And if I choose to go against him, I'm going against what God's given him. And that puts me out of my place. So verse 21 tells us to submit to one another. But verse 22 calls out the women, calls out particular instead of the generality. Now it calls out the women in particular to submit to her husband. Why? In Genesis 3.16, in the beginning of uh, this marital relationship that the Lord instituted in the garden, he spoke in verse 16. He said, unto the woman, he said, this is the curse that is coming upon the man, the woman, and the serpent. He says, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Part of the original curse of the original sin in the book of Genesis for women was multiplied sorrow in childbearing. And we need to look at this. And a part of the curse was her desire being toward her husband. <laughs> Someone saying, Amen. <laughs> and her desire being toward her husband and him having to rule over her. Now, the there's a big juncture here on the word desire because we look at the word desire sometimes and it almost looks like maybe uh, that desire is an emotional desire or maybe that is a uh, intimate sexual type of uh, desire amen but the Hebrew word desire has a root meaning in this particular context that means to seek control over or master her husband in other words a part of the original curse wasn't that she would just have increased multiplied uh, sorrow and childbearing but she would have an innate uh, just this internal uh, if you will drive to almost master or if you will take over her husband yet it says that he shall rule over thee you've been cursed with that if you've wanted to take a, a, a role uh, that God had given the man as far as in a marriage relationship, you've been cursed with that innate drive to master, uh, could we even say to instruct or to guide uh, their husbands. Now here, listen. Adam's lack of leadership in the first family provided Eve with directing the spiritual appetite, as we've already said. As a result now, then, the woman is cursed with the desire to function in a capacity that God positioned for man in a marital relationship. So since we got this infraction injunction from the beginning, man didn't necessarily take his place, so women, the woman took it. Now it's a curse upon her for the rest of her days to want to have a little bit of innate ability to guide and direct the family. It's a curse on you. Amen. So next time you look at your husband, you're designed to say, honey, I can't help it, I'm cursed. <laughs> now listen, now, in society we got this other idea. See, people really take things and they just explode them, exacerbate them beyond measure of meaning. And so we deal with societal women uh, that have got hung up on this thing. There's no man going to rule over me. No man going to tell me what to do. Listen, and that was never the intention of Scripture. 
this broad brush concept that all men everywhere will have control and can rule with an iron fist over every woman. That's unscriptural. The context of submission is spoken in the context of marriage. In other words, the text does not require some general submission of all women to all men. It requires the submission of a wife to her, the Bible says, own husband. So we're not so much talking about rule, as I said before, as we are talking about order. We're talking about arrangement. We're talking about responsibility. When we're talking about submission, we're talking about responsibility. Primarily, he should be the responsible one. Uh huh. And whenever you yield and place yourself under him, you're making him the responsible one for the spiritual affairs of your family. Amen. It's to lose to submit really is to lose or to surrender your own rights. It isn't saying you don't have rights, but that you consciously place those rights under the responsibility of your mate and of your spouse. Pastor. Yes. I think also too sometimes. Um, I've seen different situations or different marriages where the wife sits back and says, well, I wish my husband would step up and take that role. I wish they would take leadership in our family. I wish they would, you know, be stronger or more mainly or lead us spiritually. But I think sometimes as women and as wives, we have created the very situation we don't want because maybe there's been times in the past where the husband did step up and say, I think we need to go this direction. And maybe it's not what we thought and as women, you know, we're not stupid. And we know that there's maybe we manipulate, you know, or silent treatment, or we cock an attitude, or we're just not going to talk to them, or we give them the cold shoulder, whatever it is, however we try to work it or do it. And eventually the husband may get to a place where it's just not worth it. The battle, the fight that they're going to have to put up with is just not worth it. And so then they just sit back and decide it's not worth it to me. But when they do take that role and take that decision, we need to be saying, yes, I'll follow you. I'll do that. I'm going to go there. I want to be where God wants us to be. Within the context of it being God's will and biblical, if that man is going in some direction that is totally not biblical, you can still be submissive in spirit, but not compromise God's word. All right? I just want to put that in there before someone starts going headlong into sin after the spouse. Seriously, you can still be submissive in spirit. But whenever it comes to terms of contradicting his word, let me tell you something. Well, I'm not falling anybody into sin if I can keep from it. <laughs> Solomon said, hey, if sinners, in, if sinners enticed, he said, consent thou not. <laughs> Even if it is your husband or your wife. <laughs> Amen. First um, Corinthians 11, verse number 11. The Bible says, he says, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman. Neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things of God. So, I mean, very plainly, the woman is independent of the man. The man's not necessarily independent of the woman. For one thing, the woman originated from the man. 
from that rib, remember Adam's foot to sleep, a rib taken from his side? Behold, woman. She's taken, she originated from man, but also now for the rest of our years, all men, anybody for that matter, is going to come by birth through a woman. Amen. But all things originate from God. So there is a little interdependence. Women got their start by being taken from Adam, and now we, are, we, we, we prosper and continue, and this perpetuates because men are born of women. Amen. So I don't think they're necessarily inferior, amen, especially since they give birth to all men. <laughs> Praise God. Ephesians 5, 25, again, if we'd have it before our eyes here, Sister Priest, you might have to jump around to get that one, but husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 25, Paul is reminding husbands to be on guard against their natural, sinful, might even say, inclination to abuse their authority and fail to love their wives. What's so critical about this is understanding the culture of this time, culturally significant women during this time in this culture during this era were esteemed comparable to a piece of property in the time in which Paul was writing. Uh, they were just something else that men owned. So Paul is admonishing not only just men but a cultural idea telling them that you need to love those ladies. They're not just a piece of property. And not just there at your beck and call and just to do whatever you wish to do with. Love those ladies. And he says, well, then how are we to love these ladies? And he gives them the example and the pattern to consult as Christ loved the church. In other words, he gave himself for the church. Give yourself to these Ladies, gave in the Greek comes from a Greek word which means paradidomi. It means to surrender or to yield up. It demands, it demands a complete yielding of anything and everything that is needed to secure the welfare of another. To be willing to surrender whatever is necessary for the welfare. Our wives need to feel protected. Our wives need to feel secure. Our wives need to feel loved. And we need to be willing to sacrifice and give whatever necessary to ensure that. Listen, whether it be career, whether it be recreation, whether it be relaxation, whether it be our spending. Amen. In any other area of our life, be willing to give for the purpose of ensuring that she feels cared for, she, she feels loved, she feels protected, she feels secure. Pastor, I think that as women, one of our innate desires is that we want to feel cherished. We want to feel special. You know, we want to feel that we're important. And um, it just, each woman is different. And how their husbands express that to them means that 
men have to learn to know their wives, find out how they feel loved. And, you know, this is something simple probably, but to me it means a whole lot. Um, me being a stay-at-home mom, um, I have that privilege. And I'm with my kids um, every day. Mariah's at school now, that school started back. But being at home every day, you know, you have the kids, the housework, the laundry, and all that. But every Monday, after my husband's done a full Sunday, he allows me on a Monday afternoon to go to Princeton to do our grocery shopping and such, but just to have a little time to myself. You know, for me, that's just sitting down and reading a book while I eat lunch and stopping at the Goodwill. To me, that means the world. It may be a small thing, but that makes me feel cherished. That makes me feel like that, you know, what I need is important to him, that he allows me to do that. And he makes a sacrifice to make that possible for me. And I think that sometimes men get this concept that, you know, um, oh, I can't get um, mushy or, you know, lovey-dovey or all that. I'm a man, you know. And, you know, a lot of times in our society it is true that men have been, you know, um, made to feel that they can't express emotion, that they can't, you know, be that way. But if we look at the example in the scripture that was given that to love wives as Christ loved the church, he loved the church so much he died for us. He suffered for us. He went through so much. And as husbands, it's important for them to do what's necessary to make their wives feel cherished because otherwise you're going to have a very unhappy home. You're going to have a wife that feels cold and neglected and, and, and forsaken, and you guys are supposed to be together for life, and you want to feel that bond and that important, that you are important to your husband. And that's something that never stops. You know, in dating life, a lot of times there's that whole concept of, you know, the man seizing and conquering, you know, whining and dining and making them feel important and making them feel special. And then once they get married, well, I got what I wanted. It's over. You know, but it's important that as we continue in married relationships, and it goes for both husbands and wives, but I'm just going off the point that, pastor had made that you know that has to continue on you know or else what you have created is just going to fall apart you have to continue to strive to always be you know pleasing them and making them feel loved and cherished both husbands and wives please over the next few weeks do not use us as the model to model your marriage after no i'm serious because I mean, we can talk about our own stories and then wife go home her husband will, i'll tell you what well they do that and, da, 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 and so on and so forth and you go kyle don't use us as the model marriage. You better use Christ and his church as the model marriage. Stay biblical. Because ours, are, listen, it, we'll, we'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. I can share some ugly stories too. So don't use us because it rises and falls as well. We got plenty of ugly stories too. But it takes work. It just takes work. Right. It takes work. I'm, I, I'll be sold on that to the day I die. It takes work. If you, see, if you see two people in their 80s and they're holding hands and they're going down to nursing home hall and they love and appreciate each other and been married for 50 some odd years, let me tell you, those wrinkles on their face just isn't from their physical labor. It's from the work that they invested in their marriage. That's right. Look at me. I turned gray after I got married. <laughs> my Lord. <laughs> I didn't get any of my gray hair till after we got married and started evangelizing. I'm telling you, it's tough on you. <laughs> In verse 33, verse 33 of Ephesians 5, it's kind of a summation of the whole chapter. The Bible teaches that men and women, what it's telling us here, and we may or may not get to today, but what it's telling us here that men and women speak two different languages. Because I know sometimes she's talking to me, I just don't want to know what she's saying. Yeah, Her lips are moving, but, you know, it's like getting the computer jargon, smiley faces and exclamation points, all this stuff. Right? What does this mean? <laughs> and likewise, 
guys sometimes are saying stuff. I mean, it, it's hard sometimes, Sister Johnson, just to find that same page. <laughs> what book are you reading, you know? And it's not indifferent. God, God, God designed it as such. Thank God that he did. Matthew 19 and verse 4, Jesus is answering. He, he answered and said to them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? There's volumes spoken just in that last phrase. He made them male and female. You know what the Lord's saying? He made them differently. Thank God. As a matter of fact, to just kind of underlie the context in which this was said there was a man really coming to the Lord and I'm not getting in this but just in the context it was said there was a man coming to the Lord and he was basically wanting to know what are the grounds for divorce this is the scripture what are the grounds for divorce and Jesus was his response back to him was basically this he wasn't really touching that with a 10 foot pole right at that moment he said hey man don't you know that she isn't going to be exactly like you and he's not going to be exactly like her they're different from the very beginning. He made them male and female. He's made them differences. They will have differences. Go in with your eyes wide open. He's different from me. She is different from me. But if I might say the greatest, the greatest similarity, the greatest similarity between a husband or a man and, and his wife is the human element. The flesh element. Genesis 1.27, in the beginning, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he, him, male and female created he, them. God created them in his own image. Scripture tells us in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus Christ was the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ was made of a woman, Galatians 4.4 tells us. He was flesh and blood. He was human he died on a cross who died on a cross Jesus Christ died on the cross the flesh the human part died nothing of God died so our greatest similarity between the male and the female is their humanity is their flesh and as a result of that look since that is probably one of our greatest similarities then that encompasses for man and woman husband and wife that we have a proneness to foul up make mistakes we have our own wretchedness that we're contending with. Man, we have so much in common. <laughs> the most similar attribute then is that we're both flawed. Yet we are still male and female, and as a result, very, very different. Dr. Egerich and his group had asked 7,000 people this question that when you are in a conflict with your spouse or significant other, do you feel unloved or disrespected? 83% of the men said disrespected. 72% of the women said unloved. In Ephesians 5.33, he says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, speaking to the men, the husband so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence or respect her husband now in reality in a marriage, marital relationship both husbands and wives they do need both 
love and respect. However, women love more naturally than men. They even love more naturally than they show respect. And men, on the other hand, seem to be more respectful. This is, we're not, believe you me, we can't put every man in the cast because I hate those things. All these things that stereotype men as a certain way because whatever is the norm that they do that, I'm never in that group for some way. I'm, 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 I'm just not in the average, I guess. And, and, and so it always bothers me. So I'm not trying to stereotype here. But, but men usually, uh, and evidently so, because Scripture's telling us to love our wives and telling women then to respect their husbands. So it's scripturally stated that women are need, in need of love and men are in need of respect. Pastor, can I throw uh-huh. something in here? Throw it. Um, when you was talking about your statistics about when conflict arise and men feel disrespected and women feel unloved. And this is just a little add-on, little side note, but I feel it's so important to say because we've done this anytime we've done marriage counseling and I feel it's just so important is that when conflict does arise, does arise and it will, as we all know, anyone that's been married knows conflict always will arise, that always let the argument be about the issue and not about each other. Because I can, and, you know, like he said, we have plenty of bad and ugly, you know, we just, you know, most people don't share their bad and ugly. But I can just tell you that one thing that we have done, and it's very, very important, is that when the argument arises, never have the words, I hate you, crossed our lips. Ever. Ever. Or I don't love you anymore. Those things haven't come out of our mouth. Why? Because we have the understanding that, yes, there's a disagreement. Yes, we don't agree about how something's being done. Yes, we're arguing over how this is happening. But we can't take the issue and then make it about each other. Because when the issue's resolved, right. the hurt will still linger from the words that you spoke out of your mouth. I hate you. I don't love you anymore. Well, the issue's taken care of, but you spoke some words that had nothing to do with the issue. And now there's going to be lingering problems, doubts, fears, causing problems on down the road because of those things. So when arguments are, you need to set those boundaries. There need to be guidelines. Keep it about the issue. Keep your argument about resolving the problem. Never make it a personal attack on the other, even if you don't agree with them, because you're going to hurt way more than help your situation. Amen. Very well said. Very well said. Amen. So here's the need. Women need love. Men need respect. And interestingly enough, then... The ladies of the women were told to submit to her own husbands. But we're never spoken where the Lord spoke to the men and said, Men, lead. Here in the Ephesian scripture. They weren't told to lead, they were told to love. Because lovers will not hesitate to lead. For the benefit of those that are under their care. So the Lord knew that he didn't need to tell them to lead. He just needed to instruct them to love. Because love in its infancy and at its base will be willing to lead the way for the purpose of blessing the one loved at the expense of the lover. He'll be willing to lead at his own expense. Love submits, listen now, love submits itself to the interests of the one loved in servant leadership. Amen. Jesus, leadership in Jesus' books, even his earthly ministry was all about servanthood. He kind of turned the, 
the modern idea even of today and then upside down. Uh, he's to be greatest will be servant of all. And so his idea of leadership was servanthood. <clears throat> God, listen now, God didn't change. We're looking at this Christ and the church, God and his church a model that we model our marital relationships after. God didn't change who he was, but he got on a level where he could relate. relate. Somebody hear me right now. He loved his church enough. He didn't change who he was. He didn't cease being God, but he got on a level where he could relate with his church and relate with humanity. And as men, we don't have to step out of some role of being a man. You don't have to lose your macho-ness <laughs> to come to a level where you can relate with your wife. Feel with her what she feels. Try to understand where she's coming from. Amen. So he got on a level where he could relate. And when he submitted to a level where he could relate with the church and relate to us, it's there then that he was demonstrating his love. For us. And he led us, look at this, this is awesome. He led us how to submit to him with our lives. Through his love, he was leading us even on how we should submit. So it wasn't just a woman or a church that was submitting to him, but being getting down on a level where he could relate to the church. He was submitting his home and glory for the purpose of being able to relate with what he loved. And by virtue of that, he was leading her, even showing her how to submit. I hope someone's jumping the hoops here with me. It's I know such an awesome wording. two-way street because it's easy to show respect to someone you know totally loves you. There it is. And vice versa, it's so easy to love someone you know reverences and respects you. That's exactly right. <clears throat> so when we understand this, when we're speaking of love, they love your wives. Man, I love her. We go, we sit down, we watch the game together. And uh, <laughs> I told her, I said, honey, I know I'm going to be gone during uh, deer season time, but I got, you, I got you a stand so you can sit up there and you can be with me. <laughs> I love her just like my sister. <laughs> Lord, I hope it goes further than that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I love her. I know how to romance her. Uh-huh. I love her. Whatever, speaking of the love here in Ephesians, and he's telling men to love their wives. You know, there's, we spoke, there are different types of love in Scripture. There's eros love, spoken of Scripture, which is speaking about uh, the erotic or the sexual type of love uh, in Scripture, but that's not what's being spoken of here, commanded of the men here in Ephesians 5. Uh, there is the philo love that is spoken of in Scripture, which is the brotherly type of love, the family affection that we see displayed. That's not what it's speaking about right here in Ephesians 5. It is talking about the agape love, the agape love, the unconditional. The unconditional love, if I can go a step further and say that does not describe an emotional love. But it represents the act of the will. Hear me right now. Of one who desires and seeks the other's highest good. If I'm stated like this, drive it home. It is the love that is apart from who she is or how she performs. 
Pentecostal wind blowing. The unconditional love, the agape love. Husbands, love your wives. I want you to make a willful choice to love her apart from who she is in the house. Maybe right now she is performing. Someone say amen. That's the love that he was spoken about. You know, you will not find you will not find a New Testament scripture where the woman is told to love her husband. Plainly, just straight up loving. The reason being because it's her nature to love. It is in the chemistry and the makeup of a woman in her nature to love by nature. My wife said, "Well, go." I heard her over here that she is a nurturer, a lover. God designed the nature, if you will, of a mother to nurture. Do they not? And as a result, that spills over into her role of being a wife. She's a nurturer. She's a lover. The women of the New Testament Scripture loved and honored Jesus Christ. I want you to look at this. Uh, he, he, he's a man. He's honorable. He's attractive perhaps to some. He's thoughtful. He's kind. It was the men in the Gospels who opposed the Lord. Look at it. Many times you see the women, they're traveling and they're, they're following and they're just loving. And God, uh, Jesus had problem with the men, not the women. Because <laughs> women were just naturally nurturers. They were lovers, but not the men. And so God then naturally has to command the man to love. Because naturally it's just not, in his, it's not part of his instinct to do so. What do men want to do? Men want to fix problems. You see that washer ain't working? Let me get out my toolbox. You know. That grass getting high, I'll go cut it. See a shingle flapping up there, I'll get my ladder. Go up there and hammer that thing down. Want to fix problems. Matter of fact, they would rather fix problems than empathize with their wife. The woman wants a, a man to feel with her. See, because she comes to him and she starts talking about maybe some type of incongruence that's been done in her life right now, perhaps with one of her girlfriends. And she begins to talk about all this. And he says, well, I'll tell you what I do. What's he wanting to do? He's about ready to fix her problem for us. Honey, you need to do this and do that and this is what you need to do. That's not what she wanted from him. She wanted him to sit down and say, she wanted him to sit down and say, Honey, I'm so sorry that you've, I'm sorry your feelings got hurt, honey. Let's go out for dinner tonight rather than you having to cook. And, uh, you know, but as soon as the man starts hearing that, honey, he goes out to the garage and gets his tool belt and he got his hammer and his screwdrivers on. Then, well, let's fix this thing. I'm not going to fix it, but that's not what she's needing right now. She's needing somebody to listen and understand where she's coming from, that her emotions have been trampled on, and she needs you to understand that. Don't try to fix it. She don't want you to fix it. She wants you to get alongside her. It's kind of like that story of that wife that just felt so unloved, been married so many years, she just didn't feel like her husband loved her anymore. And she finally told him, she says, you just don't love me anymore. He says, yes, I do. She says, you don't love me anymore. You never tell me you love me. And he responded, well, I told you I loved you the day we got married, and if it changes, I'll let you know. That's right. Well, that doesn't work. <laughs> you have to continually let your wife know that you love her and you care for her. So there's a reason then why God of glory tells us men love your wives. We got a hankering to fix stuff. You know, whenever you have a tendency towards something, you know, it's not like you have to have a lot of encouragement. 
you got to have an encouragement for the things that you are not uh, t- have a tendency for. And so what that's what the Lord's trying to do with it. He said, man, you're spending so much time on the fix-it spectrum. I need you to go to the other end there. And I need you to somehow deal with her. And, and guys, let me alleviate some of the burden for you. The reason why this is, is because in the very beginning, God gave man a job before he gave him a wife. Brought him to the garden to dress it and to keep it before Eve was ever on the scene gave him the responsibility of naming the animals before Eve was ever on the scene. And so God gave man a job before he ever gave him a wife and therefore I tie that very, very greatly then that's the reason why men have an inclination to be more of a fixer than they are a feeler. Amen. So I'm not saying it's wrong for us to be fixers. But I'm saying let's take the admonition of Scripture and not to uh, not pay attention to the side of needing to be a lover. Because before Eve was given to Adam, here's Adam. He's given that job. He's dressing. He's keeping the garden. Man, I don't know what type of tool that takes. You know, a hole or a shovel. I don't know. But anyway, he had that one on and, and naming all the animals. And Pastor, and, uh, yeah. Um, I think, too, that the love that we want and we desire that, you know, a lot of times... Sometimes the husbands get in this position of feeling like she's just so needy. She's always just wants, 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 needs, needs, needs. She doesn't appreciate anything I do. I go to work every day, and I mow the lawn, I wash the cars. And, and they interpret it as nagging. Right. And I think that what that along with that tongue and groove with respect is that appreciation for what they do do for us. And, you know, when they do work all week and when they do mow the lawn is that part of that respect and reverence is, you know, honey, you're doing such a great job. Thank you for what you do. If for you can family. feed a man's ego, I'm being a so man here. If you can feed a man's ego, it'll go far in life. You're, and as a wife, because we'll be men have the biggest ego. I'm, I'm, guys, you, we have big egos. We like when someone says, that looks good. You did a great job. Nobody else could have done it like you. You want to start talking about, man, you just sprouted some new hair on your chest whenever they start saying some of those stuff. I'm telling you you right now. you have to be sincere. You have to be sincere. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, if you will show them appreciation and respect for what they do, when you have a need, it's going to be so much easier for them to come and meet our needs whenever we have shown that reverence and respect. We've already laid the foundation and made an easy path because when they feel appreciated and when they feel like what they have done matters... Mm-hmm. what they do matters because a lot of times you know they do work hard and then you know yeah but I do this and I do you know work a job and take care of the kids and all this but if you just take a little time to show them appreciation of what they do and let them know what they do matters then as women we're going to get what we need from them exactly and the love and the needs because whenever there's a breakdown in these two things there's a vicious cycle that started because whenever the lady doesn't feel loved she'll be less apt to show the man the respect that he needs. And whenever he doesn't get the respect that he needs, he is less apt to love. And so we get caught in a vicious cycle. The lady is going without the love she needs and the man's going without the respect she needs. But if someone would just step up to the plate and start loving or start respecting, then the whole chemistry of everything begins to shift. We start getting the respect that we need. She starts receiving the love that she needs. That's the reason the Lord wrote it in His Word. And Pastor, I think it's so important because I've heard people say, well, I'll do this if they'll do that. 
You know, I'll show him respect if he'll love me. Or I'll, I'll show her love if she'll respect me. But someone has to start it yeah. somewhere. Someone has That's to be unfounded. the bigger person. And what that means is the love you show or the respect you show is not based on their actions. Mm-hmm. It's not based on how they respond because if it's been bad for a long time, they may not respond well. They may think you're trying to get something or you're yeah. trying to manipulate. They may not trust your motives, but you have to be the bigger person. Continue showing respect, continue showing respect, or continue showing love despite how they respond or despite how they act. Eventually, it will make a difference, but you have to do it as unto the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord and do it for them and be the bigger person because some people will say, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do what pastor said. I'm going to take that advice. Will they do it for a week? Well, it didn't make no difference. I just forget it. You know, it didn't do no good. Well, he don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, and you know, they say it. It it takes a while for things to fall apart. Well, it takes a while to build them back up. It does. So you just have to be willing to go in for the long haul and put forth the effort. Stand for me today. I don't want to take advantage of you, good people. We'll try to get back there perhaps next week where we left off. The greatest pickup line for the man was this, I got a job. <laughs> when Eve showed up, I got a job. That ain't too bad of a pickup line today. <laughs> I got a job. <laughs> Amen. So by default, that man's a problem solver. Amen. We'll try to pick up with that love ordeal and still go into the respect vein a little bit uh, next Sunday. I appreciate you this morning. Thank you so much. You've leaned in today. You've leaned in today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.